Welcome, everybody. Thank you for coming. Um, I am not Ben Dollar, but I know that if I were Ben Dollar, there were, I would thank you for being here. Um, and I would also thank the funders of the series. Thank you to the funders of the series. <laughs> the Sims family and, and the Deans. Um, we are very grateful to them for allowing us to have such a wonderful series this year. This is the last event of the year. My name is Lorraine, and I am an MFA student in the literature department. This is my last quarter, and I am thrilled to be introducing Rodrigo Toscano. In an August 2009 interview, Jade Hudson asked Rodrigo Toscano what his overall objective in writing poetry was. His response, quote, I want to make people feel sucky, like they've been wasting their entire lives on shushing themselves up both in speech and with what they do with their bodies. I want poetry to aid in dispelling that feeling of suckiness with compelling word and body feats. Imagine poems that are self-aware carnivals which understand themselves as labors, laborers. Imagine discourses as damaged dialects that aren't supposed to interact interacting and that these interactions are everyday occurrences. Rodrigo grew up here in Tijuana, San Diego, where, as we know, millions of people speak in two languages and move among different cultures and socioeconomic classes as a matter of fact with varying levels of comfort. In Rodrigo's work, code switching and the juxtaposition of different discourses isn't so much about a neat modernist dialectic tension as it is about an everyday full of torques and swerves. This from Conglomerate Transatlantic Pantocracy in his 2004 book from Krupskaya, To Leveling Swerve. Psst. This reading sucks. Sucks. Psst. Dumbo has come back to life, they say, in L.A. County proper. In Collapsible Poetics Theater, chosen for the National Poetry Series and published in 2008, the discourses become voices which, when performed, of course, are bodies. Language and bodies move in these pieces like a labor movement or like laborers and products across the Mexico-U.S. border, but the book is not a series of plays or even a score, really, not in the ways that you know or recognize a score or a play. It's more like a document of the dead and or transient workers and their supervisors and other people who populate in absentia, say, Roberto Bolaño's novels. I'm in graduate school, so I would say necrocapitalism. What I'm saying is that Rodrigo's work inhabits and pokes holes in necrocapitalism. Deck of Deeds, published this year by Counterpath, this is his most recent book, is made of 70 captioned text poems sans image with titles inspired by lottery, lotteria cards. Rodrigo made many of these poems while flying an average of 10,000 miles every month in his work as a union trainer and coordinator for the Labor Institute in New York City. These poems are specific, funny, and dystopian, uh, a specific, funny, and dystopian collection of characters living, conniving, and laboring in diverse terrestrial and extraterrestrial geographies. This from Los Familiares. Dear Little Discourse. 
Ever since your phrase, mediating my identity, it has been staying with us in Western Texas. It's, uh, well, I'm kind of embarrassed to report this, but it's um, become more than a bit of a tramp. Ouch. As ever, yours, your affectionate, older, universalist, humanist discourse. And of course, little discourse responds. Please join me in welcoming Rodrigo Pisano. Hi. Uh, thanks for uh, coming out, everybody. Uh, it's, I'm thrilled to be back in my uh, stomping grounds. Um, this is kind of where it all began. Uh, one of my oldest friends, uh, Ray Armentrout, is the person who, um, who uh, at a very early age, uh, really, well, we just, we, we'd had coffee and we'd talk, you know. <laughs> uh, that's what we'd do. And that was very cool because um, I wanted to do writing, and she was doing writing. Simple as that. Los Exploradores. Last summer, while on their first Gulf-wide helicopter tour, they learned how to increase their inner narrating capacities with a titanium-coated needle. They preferred to stoke it in small basements of large soccer stadiums south of the equator in case they encounter too much cerebral spinal spillage or regulation. Their favorite fantasy is that their successful motivational vocabularist for hire to a half dozen oil executives from Russia on a visit to New York who install an indecipherable ethicalism into their brains, one by one. Last week, while still twisted on dichlorobenzidine after a night of doctoring EPA reports, they licked the sweet crude slime from a 200-meter drill bit before going in for a final deep plunge. Just as they were about to induce a frontal cranial orgasm for the stockholders executive board, they looked into their faces in a reflective aluminum hotel bar counterplating in Houston. When they saw how hot their mouths looked, smeared with oil, spit, and tar gas residue, they gazed into their own eyes and whispered, such sluts. Oh, that one, that's, that's the Los Exploradores. This one's called Los Salvados. Los Salvados. Last month, a Middle Eastern creed, much older than theirs, they met at a Mysteries of Faith convention in Raleigh, North Carolina, fed them their own artery works in the privacy of their hotel rooms. Together, they sorted white platelet from red platelet and strained the remains into a tin-glazed porcelain chamber pot. They slow drip-fed from the substance for hours. The much older creed then stuffed their apocalyptic pronouncements back into their mouths, while on their backs, goat legs of Beelzebub clamped together, the much older creed transmuted their practicalities of providence into a translucent blue liquid. After adding a dollop of its black-green colored warring bile into the chamber pot, the creed took out the complimentary holy books from their lamp drawers and brushed them against their nostrils. Like little animals, they sniffed them and stuck their tongues out. Los salvados. I love them. El bebé. 
All three presidential candidates have ample basalt granite temporal lobes, including the baby. His lobes are especially crackly. They flake at even 10 megahertz. His closest advisor, the English language, lasers his lobes with bestseller lists until he almost passes out. He's learned to need it, require it, love it. Brutally so, at least once a month. He submits to it at least one bestseller three weeks before leaving on a cross-country tours so that the fracturing has time to heal as he has a squishy head VP nominee who disapproves of the crackled look. Sometimes this violence scares him, but he feels very calm and in command. <laughs> El profe. Five things his students don't know about him. He lets his pubes grow out while on sabbatical. <laughs> he frequently employs aids for lecturing. Carizoperdol, glutethamide, gamma-hydroxybutyrate. He has a department head who enjoys loaning him to visiting fellowships. He enjoys her enjoyment. <laughs> he lets any experimental poet with at least three publications post their Twitters in all his portals. He keeps a trusty supply of tetracycline in his office drawer. El profe. El comerciante. El comerciante. Here to inform you that your fetus is into providing weapons to other fetuses at select places around the world. It picked up this taste for this trade two months ago while you were all on vacation in Florida. That nice fetus from Oregon who taught your fetus how to properly synthesize proteins and macrophage cell membranes, remember? By the fourth day, they were filling invoices for M1A2 Abrams tank parts. On the fifth day, your fetus reverently tumbled onto its belly facing the center of the earth and flapped its proto-real lips at it at about 30 seconds. What does your fetus like about it, the center of the earth, that is? Like you, it loves the gritty mineral taste of deep buried dirt thrown into its proto-real face. It also loves volcano vapors searing the skin off of its proto-real fanny while plunging its proto-real vestigial tail into the aqua marine waters of birthdom. How many fetuses total has it sold weapons to? Just 400,000, but it's hooked. Your fetus foresees a lifetime of weapons sales around the globe. It's got a gold ring on its belly now, too or head, hard to say. La Galerista. I want to be well known and influential for my art, new body, sculptural, photographic, and video work. I was born in but moved to the United States at a young age. I've recently earned a Kanuki Kuki Kuki Panuki Fanuki Award from Stanford <laughs> University, and my work will soon be presented in <laughs> Some consider my work to be strongly Chabola <laughs> while others call me a sellout of Chabola <laughs> 
My early kanuka de kanik nik 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 art was focused on violence against the body. Lately, I've focused on spiritual and physical connections with young bodies. During the last two years, I've started creating body objects, mostly sustained live sculptures of my body in bound positions. My aim is to maximize a of social interactive intentionality in public spaces. My upcoming performance involves 10 Tuwum who've all recently turned 19 to deliver the Yambarakumasana into my Yuwuf. There is to be a minimally perceived break between one's Yambarakumasana and another's. As soon as the Lungasaraf of one comes out, another one's Lungasaraf goes in. I remain silent throughout. <laughs> as soon as the last one has Yambakurum Salat into me, they all get dressed and clear the space. I remain still for about 10 minutes, holding in the small lake Yambakurum Salat inside me. Then, in a gesture of newfound empowerment, I let gush out all of the pleasure that I harbored to myself for myself, for all spectators to either critically evaluate, be disturbed by, or simply enjoy. La Galerista. I like her. Los Combatentes. In 3055 A.D., the ex empire of the three California's great commander, Gigo, led an ill-fated campaign against the new American League in which he was roundly defeated at the Battle of Las Vegas. After the terrible fighting subsided, two isolated units from either side found themselves in an over-impacted suburb on the borders of what's now the modern nation of Conexico. They eventually settled into a common planetary neutral zone, PNZ, incorporating the new American League's battle-weary people into a new league. Eventually, their league, too, was absorbed by the larger Greater Pacific Production Zone, GPPZ, and so on and so forth. Countless males and females since then have kept the semen and ovules flowing and colliding in underground nitrogen chambers powered by harness submantle magma drifts rechanneled for power distribution. By night, the isolated genes of 21st century politicians and drug-addicted beauticians alike have kept excited young ex lab experimenters amped up as altered DNA sequences rescramble during lightning storms of hard, explorative, synthetic gene infusions. Everyone shudders with every whoosh, whoosh cycle. By day, those same reconstituted pools, XXs as Ys, Ys, are cryogenically preserved in vials and sealed and stored into satellites that rotate around AM22, artificial moon 22, until a given PS, planetary sector, is due for repop. An only child's comfortable sleeping quarters in a capsule hexagon high above old York City's borough of New Prince 
was a long way from the long-forgotten, over-impacted suburb on the borders of Connexico. But the energy from that over-impacted suburb speaks of an indisputable victory. Los combatentes. Um, El Grupito, Meal for History, Estimated Time of Underground Syndicate's Existence, One Year, Three Months, Number of Full-Blown Media Diffracting Actions, 38, Human Faculties Sharpened, Perfected, Oculatory, Olfactory, justitatory, somatosensory. Amount of double think? Zero. Los bardos. The edge of death. The seconds right before the sensation of all sensation. Biologic systems breaking down, a narrowing of the life force, heading towards some kind of conclusion, a conclusion whose conditions remain utterly unknown to the living. Death is not a black void in eternity. To begin with, the word black requires a monosyllabic utterance. It is formed by the lips, tongue, and throat of the living. First, a soft labial explosive is formed by the lips. It is then followed by a soft flicking of the tongue at the roof of the mouth that in turn is followed by an opening of the glottis. The tongue is passive at that moment. The lips are passive at that moment. The word ends with a rapid compression of the tonsils into a final crisp clicking sound. All that not death is a sure candidate for life. Two people read a sonically virtuosic dialogue, eagerly devouring and variating each other's rhythms for the first time. Radiance of one entity transporting another entity into another realm. Los Bartos. El psicólogo. Ditching a whole week of classes in the middle of his first semester at Oberlin to spend it in Belarus with his dorm buildings maintenance man is a dicey proposition to be sure. Telling his new girlfriend he's going to his grandmother's funeral in nowhere, Pennsylvania, while at the same time asking his parents for $1,000 for a social activism retreat in the state of Washington is even more dicey. But those things pale in comparison to him accepting $10,000 to transport eight packets of T4 explosive in his intestines to be deposited in the privacy of a hotel room next to Newark International Airport. It's his third time, and like the other two times, everything went as smooth as glass. 
The following weekend, after he got back, he took a bus to New York City to spend some alone time in the meatpacking district where the Hollywood set flies into shop. He bought a black shark skin pair of pants with a sparkly silver trim belt for uh, $2,000. In the cellar of his dorm room, the oil-burning heater makes a deep whirring sound just loud enough to drown out the latest round of tactical arguments led by the maintenance, maintenance man's storm of demonic words. After the kid's collegiate global opinion has withstood a solid 40-minute pounding, he respectfully slips out of the cellar and changes into the black sharkskin jeans and sparkly silver trim belt for a night out on campus, poorly lit. Next morning in the cafeteria, he greets his girlfriend with an easy smile. They stroll out onto a large grass lawn in the warm sun for study for their psychology final multiple personalities diagnosis. He announces to her that he's decided to specialize in that very area. She slowly clasps his hand and gives him a little peck on the lips. It's that little guy. All right. La ratoncita. La ratoncita. The future, for the moment, looks very bright. Ten minutes from now, she'll be momentarily be putting aside 20 years of a mindful, carefully planned, high-functioning values instilling upbringing, exchanging it for a half-paragraph of poetic prose written on a damp beer coaster at noon. Chug and scribble. Seven days a week, twice a day, that's the deal. Once in the morning, starting at 9 a.m. at the Emeritus Professor's faux dive bar before he speeds off to Danbury, Heliport, and Connecticut en route to Barnard College in Upper Manhattan. And once in the evening, starting at 6 p.m. at the same Professor's boutique beer tasting establishment two doors down as he heads home to his protective hearth. Tabs on the house. There's three coffee houses in town where she spends the rest of her day meditating on novel writing strategies. Hopping from one coffee house to the other, she doesn't give her morning and evening jobs a second thought. She's a great tipper. The kids love her. On weekends, she often runs into her former prof and his little family on Main Street. Coffee house rats is what his wife calls them, secretly envious of all the time they have to read and write. Once in a while, the wife sees this particular rat decked out in fake pearls and fake fine linens having a bottle of wine by herself at the Tuscan Taverna. Last week, she worked up the nerve to ask the young lady what kind of novel she was writing. The title of it is Wife Trap. Oh, do you have a contract for it? She asked in a biting tone. I do. Thanks for asking. La proletaria. La proletaria. The smell of pulp, turpentine, and bleach 
usually permeates this side of town. But when winds from the south east swoop into the valley, the toxic brew is flasked, cleared away, and what remains is the smell of wet grasses, mud, and wild flowers. This natural phenomenon mitigating human-made conditions has only made a limited effect on the minds of the hard-working townsfolk whose every other thought dotes on the health and growth of the town's young. She not only had the gall to admit it to herself, but also had the presence of mind to look for an opening, any, to construct a whole new reality for herself and for something else. The eerie attraction she felt for this outcropping of pre-Cambrian rocks spoke clearly and directly to her the first time she saw it in the middle of the field. In the deep of winter, the paper mill's indoor facility is cold and noisy. In that environment, she didn't pay much attention to the roll-press feeder guy dressed in the mustard-colored industrial pants and brown-checkered long-sleeved felt shirt. Also, the safety glasses and helmet occluded much. One day, her workmate buddy approached her about the possibility of maybe coaching her little cousin on basic lacrosse techniques. She readily agreed, having been a great player in school herself, the same school her buddy's little cousin was now attending, but also the Precambrian rock in the middle of the field, enabling her resolve. Actually, she recognized him before he did her. She had caught his eye at the mill. She thought he was cuddly, but sufficiently rough, her exact taste in little cousins, which was just beginning to pick up speed. Decked out in a bright red terry cloth, roared short sleeve disco shirt and loose-fitting green parachute pants, the only part of him she could correlate to the pre-Cambrian rock in the middle of the field, and or the guy at the press feeder on the third shift, the general mass and approximate density, was something else. She could barely cloak the dilation of her cheeks surface arteries as she laughed easily at herself, flaying the lacrosse stick every which way, tumbling to the ground, legs all over the place. At the end of the practice, she offered to give him a ride home. As fate would have it, hard rains made the wind-winding road where little cousin lived impassable. They turned onto the estuary, the oldest road in that part of central Missouri, a tree-lined road of stone and railway planks. The sound of the automobile's front axle rods snapping in two reached her ears pretty much at the same time as something else crawled its way into her nostrils. The last moment of sanity, she remembers, is the look of her own short brown flare hair out onto the face in the mirror, sticky and messy, the Precambrian rocked in the middle of the field there also. As the whole new reality set in, a gust of wind made the maples around them rustle. It's going to be okay. Alright. I got to read this. Uh, some of my... Some people came down from, from Riverside, some Chicano types. 
just to hear this reading. I'm not going to call them out, but thank them for coming. So I'm going to read Las Narcas. All right. Las Narcas. Here's the designer drug warlock she's been cooking things up with behind my back. And like I told you, besides these, white Polaroid, right? Snapshots infuriating me, punching a deep hole into my stomach. They also make my narco woman sense of self tense with excitement. They intrigue me to my very bones. I want to leech those pills for all their phenethylamines. I want to collect as much extracted epiphrenine into my wholesale stock as I can. I want to cut it, bump it, and trick it into my own brand as quickly as I can. Whew! Oh my God, it's such a relief to be confessing this to someone. But most of all to you. This thing we have of telling each other everything is, I agree with you, the only way we could have remained civic governmental collaborators for as long as we have. <laughs> I think one of the main reasons I'm staying with this particular witch is to discover more of her secrets. Secrets really do it for me. I don't know why. Speaking of secrets, or rather the revelation of secrets, I, a specific one actually, I have to confess to you something, and I know it'll make you furious for a while, but I have to tell you. I've been rapid separating N-methyl-1-phenylopon-raphine-2-amine with this new warlock of my own, and I'm really into it. It's been going on for a while, well, for some time now. I would have told you earlier, but I had to test the local market first, plus decapitate about two dozen local bombita runners without any interference, like the last time. Our first warlock encounter happened the very night you and I had that amazing early evening, just us narcas, buffet in the cantina in Nuevo Laredo, the one with Christmas lights adorning the ceiling. I know this might sound awful to say, but tequila talking it through with you really loosened me up to try something completely new with this fully globalized warlock. Okay. So to be true to the deal you and I have, that one or the other, to relate at least one specific detail of every new trade secret encounter, here it is. We've been, uh, we've been delivering coca without coke. We set up some of our own foot soldier to the media showy arrest before ramping up operations at the crossing points. I've directed loads and loads of the cheap product deep into the U.S. as far as Roanoke, Virginia. And I love it. I want more penetration. I love it when random, anonymous gringos croon. In realidad, yo no soy un addicto. <laughs> so that's where I've been Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday nights of every month for the last eight months. A thousand narcobesos. You're a civic governmental partner for life. Chata. P.A.N., former P.R.I. candidate for senator from Tamaulipas. <laughs> Los manifestantes. When their Greek friend announces that he's coming into Denver for the weekend, they both enjoy planning it, planning for it, I'm sorry, 
When their Greek friend announces that he's coming into Denver for the weekend, they both enjoy planning for it over dinner on Friday night. As usual, on the agenda will be an improvised paintball gun war in the new hip downtown area by the museum, a late brunch, a one o'clock storefront window shattering spree, bike riding around Cherry Creek Reservoir before sundown, and then their favorite, lighting police cars on fire while podcasting the live images set to repurpose soccer anthems. <laughs> Ball bearings is something they've loved since elementary school and having experimented with all types of sizes, first chrome, steel, and ceramic, and hybrids, 20 millimeter, 40 millimeter, 80 millimeter. They know well what they're capable of producing. They start off by pelting to a pulp the bell-shaped dome of the state capitol. The Greek friend hollering Trajectory coordinates deeply taking in the unfolding glorious image, wiping gold flecks off of his goggles till the brass cap tumbles to the ground. Quickly, but carefully, they gather several trash bags of government-issued corporate charter deeds and flee the scene. As the Greek friend wonders for a minute just how far these uh, two uh, American friends are willing to go, usually they make it at least past the brunch, and increasingly lately, at least till the bike ride around Cherry Creek Reservoir. He unclasps the belt snaps of his olive green canvas bag and entreats his friends to have a quick look inside. As the propylene blast torch comes out of the bag, he adroitly glides the white safety tab so that the red ignition switch button is exposed and pressed. Eventually, after the three have swapped the screaming flame for several rounds, each time the pyre rising higher, and as they move in on the charred corporate charters to add a stream of revolutionary uric acid to the conflagration, the little party comes to an end. Their black vinyl bib vespas are then unceremoniously dumped <laughs> into an underground sewer near Cheeseman Park. It never becomes a conversation between them as to where the exact location is, nor as to who exactly tipped them off to it. It happens as it happens. The sense of unity and oneness they get from these weekends is something that glues together the diffracted sense of where the world is going for months afterwards. Three more. La, la, la investigadora. By age six, she could recite entire Nova Science Channel transcripts by memory. <laughs> by eight, she was perfectly fluent in Southern Ohio Appalachian English as well as Michoacan, Central Mexican Spanish, as her second and third languages. By 10, her mathematical, mathematical abilities were so advanced that only a senior year student from Cincinnati Technical College qualifi qualified as her private tutor. By 12, her prose style was highly regarded by the Miami University Ohio Journalism Department. At 14, her friend, a shop floor leader at the D-Max diesel plant engine in Moraine, Ohio, 
introduced her to Salvia smoking over a conversation about industrial workflow methods at his family's suburb lake cabin just east of Akron. Over the course of that year, her interest in the herb deepened to the point where she studied genetic salvia strains with the goal of synthesizing an entirely new species while overhauling DMAX's health, safety, and environment program. From 15 to 18, employing the tubular ceramic bowl that she designed based on precise calculations of air pressure in each subchamber, she smoked at least one thimbleful of salvia in the morning, two at noon, and at least three sometimes up to five in the evening. The effect it was having on her overall thinking ability was something she also studied and published. <laughs> at 19, she, from one day to the next, decided to stop smoking salvia. She also made a decision not to pursue a career in industrial workflow methods. Her new interest was her own complex sociocultural subjectivity. <laughs> By 20, she concluded that the amount of empirical data she gathered from her earlier salvia studies was insufficient to strike out on any definitive path. Her volumes of diagrams, calculations, graphs, charts, and formulas were put into boxes for storage. At 21, she decided to collect all the necessary data starting from age 21 to age 24, committing herself to personally acting out every identified form of cross-cultural interaction, 2,451, in her immediate cultural landscape. At 25, having completed her colossal temporal physical regimen, which took her to all 88 counties of Ohio, she wrote and published her Forense Temporalis et Carnalis Ohioensis in Mid-Southern Afro-American English, which she had become enamored with on several of her assignments. The Acknowledgements page to the five-volume collection lists 362 names in six-point font. The glossary includes over 400 new words for specific types of cross-economic class dating interactions alone. <laughs> Since then, she's decided to open a coffee house in Cleveland's historic warehouse district, making her own pastries, and maybe, maybe, brewing her own beer for the evening happy hour. I hope she does. All right. Thanks for your patience. Las Globalistas. This one, and then the teeny one. Las Globalistas. <laughs> From rural Maryland to an old castle in Luxembourg, she can hardly believe she's actually here acting in her first movie as an extra, working on a 20 American media promo whiz kids punk slap one by one scene with the illustrious French star of the movie. The director decided to keep the film crew at a minimum so that the two could find the mental space to completely settle into the sequence. So for now, the only ones present were the director, a Russian man of 17, the camera, a Korean girl, 62, 
the lighting tech, an Argentinian guy, transition of 44, and the two actresses, 21 and 25, American and French, respectively. By the sixth or seventh shoot, they were not acting anymore. Aggression-induced saliva was frothing from the mouths. Their noses were dripping with blood. Their fingers were smeared with blood, saliva, and tears. The darkness of the small castle chapel echoed with the sounds of face, cheeks, snapping, and teeth splattering against the mold-coated stone walls. Then, rather suddenly, a kind of global pop culture fuzzy feeling started to come over the both of them. Fingers were now being redirected into their own noses. At times, singular firm slaps laid across their own faces, making the room resound with the fury of their newly discovered chronic inner boredom. By the end of the twelfth take, faces had been patched up enough so that they could recognize who was who. And as they sat side by side at the black lacquered wooden altar, they spoke as if possessed by their respective places of origin. The camera, but not the light above, had actually been switched off after the 12th shoot, though the actresses didn't know it at the time. The director looked at the camera girl, and in a wink of mutual agreement, they allowed the two actresses to delve deeper into this two-person global professional fizzle fest. By now, they both had managed to blurt out some specific requirements of their respective national sensibilities and were desperately trying to recoup a single personal national memory worthy of translating into any language known to humankind. The light was then turned off. It was pitch dark. And slowly, the sound of their excited murmuring quieted. After five minutes, the strange silence prompted the lighting tech to turn the light back on. The American was dancing in a sort of one-person square dance, her mouth gaping open, her hands occasionally gripping the security of the black lacquered wooden altar, though she actually broke off a sizable chunk of it. A steady trickle of sweat was leaking from her forehead down to her clavicles. The French girl's neck muscles were bulging as she pushed against the mold-covered stone wall with the top of her head. Suddenly, a little squeak came out of the American, a squeak that blended horror with pleasure. The French girl then gradually stopped pushing her head against the wall while facing the American and performed a barely perceptible one-person minuet for a minute. After the shoot, in the brightly lit bathroom, former dungeon, they both cleaned themselves off of any castle gunk, as well as any stray DNA, with wet towels. The American, while drying herself off, paused briefly and looked at the other girl with a blank look, and in a quiet, hoarse tone, said, Thanks for that and then broke into a soft smile. The French actress put her index finger on the American's nose and, in an even quieter tone, said, Fuck you. Oh, that was called Los Globalistas. I forgot to read this one that I really wanted to read. Oh, there it is. 
Diablito. El Diablito. Diablito, they affectionately call him at Family of Labor Reunions. He doesn't look like a Diablito at all. He looks more like a sleek young Barracuda. However you cut it, he's 100% primate. Over the last six months, he's developed a strong attraction to scrawny, even slightly decomposed legislation. Legislation clearly below his game. It happened at a corny Mardi Gras event in his medium-sized job-depressed town. Everyone was in masks. Some of it is. At around 3 a.m., he found himself gagging on a Wall Street labor cooperation bill that stretched his mouth in all directions, seriously gagging his challenge gag reflex. He enjoyed it. Diablito likes him fully earmarked now. Frustrating working in the field that I work. Um, and then there's, there's two last little ones. La Observadora. La Observadora. Feeling the initial jolts of an explosive subtraining social transformation is something that she lives for, especially when the jolts are perceived to erupt from nearby frozen bystanders' warm, pulsing bodies. First, their emotions brighten to a maximum luminosity, spectacular accidents in thought, causing intention to splinter into multiple paths of action. Next, their ideals deflate and tuck hard against their actual lived conditions. After that, their sense of public vanity dissipates, a scattering plume of smoke to nowhere. Finally, their dogged dedication to reason clamps its straining jaws into a rapidly unfolding speculative science of a just-around-the-corner reality. The jolts come in a series of flickering dream images, sending waves of recovered historical memory into her sense of the now. She adores this new little demon friend more than anything else in the world. The feeling is mutual. And the final one is called El Refugiado. El Refugiado. Southeast California. The midday temperature has reached 105. The month-long guest strolls out half-naked onto the ranch motel's porch. The quiet, conservative owner immediately detects the morally unanchored sass in the guest's attitude. The guest, as he yells every single day, overrocks the rocking chair as his chrome flask of rye whiskey finds its way to his impudent Brooklyn-based mouth. Two hours later, after the innkeeper's canine has completed its usual solo attack rate on room number seven, the guest recommits to confronting his toiled-over writer-ready text to looking to flip them into hard, reader-ready fables, squeezing a few last drops of transpersonal nectar onto each of them. Later, in the evening... The guest texts his consigliere in Elizaville, New York. Surveillance here. Bazzo watching. No matter. Bazzo. Poeticized. Words flowing. Still risky. Can stay. 
want to. No car. Send booze. Send beans. Quality soap. The title? Still pondering. Proprietor sleep. Clouds clearing. Stars glowing. Sage pungent. Butterflies aloft. What's real? What's not? Tipping point. Cross point. Point of no return. Horizon appears. So far. So near. Thank you. Um, I, I, uh, um, I horse around a lot, actually, uh, when, you know, um, when I'm alone, like, like, like with phrases and, and I remember, uh, phrases, uh, other people's poetry and I kind of just kind of whirly gig them around my mind. And, um, I think after many years of, of these exercises, I've just become the exercise itself. And so I, I <laughs> so I mean I can barely hold a, uh, a uniform, uh, you know, voice tone without wanting to sort of explore. It's almost it's almost like the words are asking you to explore what they're the, the contour of the phrase or whatever. So it's like um, I'm vulnerable. I, I I work to make myself vulnerable to to speech forms. It, it's something you can do. It's not going to happen in five years. It's going to take a long time. You don't want to go in there. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> Come on, anything. No? All right, well, um, I thank you very much for coming out.